Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. This is Trevor Hall. You are listening into this episode for the week, which is your Friday morning long form episode. We have one lengthy conversation with our good friend Chris Temple from Nashville Investor talking on a number of different topics, not only about gold, precious metals, copper, and the negative sentiment in junior mining all around, but a real sense of what's happening with the Fed, where we're at in the cycle, and also a lot about energy here in North America, specifically the United States. So good conversation once again with Chris. Special thank you to our sponsors, Western Copper and Gold, Rio 2, Integra Resources, and Arizona Sonoran Copper. We appreciate your continued support of the podcast. We tried to put out as much episodes this week as we possibly could. So if you missed any of them, you can go over to our website where we've got all of this week's episodes loaded up on the website. If you have any follow-up questions for me, please feel free to shoot me a message, Trevor at Clear Creek Digital. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave a review of this podcast on the network you use to listen to all of your podcasts. It just does us a great amount of good to get in front of new investors. So with that said, let's jump into my conversation with Chris. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Lots of interesting discussion here. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday morning for the morning briefing. We are going to wrap up this week uh, with our good friend, longtime friend of the podcast. For those that have been a listener of Mining Stock Daily over the years, you, uh, this gentleman will be no stranger to you. He is the publisher of National Investor, and he's also the co-host of the Metals Mining, Metals Markets and Mining Weekly with Mickey Fulp, mercenary geologist. My old job, actually. Good friend, Chris Temple. Hey, Chris, how are you, my friend? Hey, buddy, and you? <laughs> I'm doing, you know, I'm doing okay. I myself, yeah. you know, my family, we're strong, we're healthy, we're kicking off uh, the summer with a lack of any routine week over week. That's the way summers typically are with right. children. Uh, but you know, I we I, I I have so many questions that I that I would like to get some answers from you. In fact, I've got notes written down here regarding general economy sentiment in the markets, the Federal Reserve energy, what copper is telling us right now. Uh, and I would also like to talk about junior mining. Well, that's, we're going to push that off the side because I'd like to start big picture first and start narrowing sure. it down to some of these. Um, you know, we, we've, we've had news from the Federal Reserve. We have a continued monetary tightening process, and we can have the debate whether that's happening fast enough. I don't think it is. Uh, but we, as, as often as Jerome Powell's up there saying the economy remains strong, he doesn't see any sort of signs of recession, uh, which I think is a big fat lie. We continue to see holes in the general economy. So I'd like to paint that picture for you and start letting you kind of, you know, pitch in here and give me your thoughts. Well, look, Jerome Powell is doing now what he did from the beginning of 2020, and you can argue the end of 2019, until not that many months ago. And I'll go back to that former episode first to inform us on this one, Trevor. Back then, he was single-minded in his quest to flood the economy with un- and markets, more importantly, with unprecedented levels of liquidity didn't matter that the evidence showed that inflation was getting out of hand way before he acknowledged it. That was his mindset. That was his game plan. And whatever lines of obfuscation and half-truths and BS that he had to give us to seemingly justify that was all fair game. Okay, well, now what is his single-minded purpose? His single-minded purpose now is a political imperative that he was given by President Biden when he was reappointed, that come hell or high water, you are going to put as much of this inflation back into the tube as you can, because it's killing me politically from the president. So it doesn't matter what the underlying evidence is, that not only is he too late, but now nature is going to take its course anyway, 
And some of these things, yes, they will come back down. Not as much as he's wanting us to believe. You know, we've listened to Powell this week in front of the Senate first, and then as you and I are recording this today in front of the House, and what us old-timers still call as Humphrey Hawkins' testimony, which the Fed has to give twice a year. You know, we've listened to him tell us, yes, about how great the economy is, how great employment is, and stuff like that. Um, but we, we know differently. We're seeing differently in some instances with our own eyes. And here we've got a guy now, Trevor, who, and maybe you've seen my newest cartoon, or I should say my cartoonist, Jerry King's newest cartoon. You remember that show in Living Color that was on oh, yeah. for a number of years? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't remember oh, well. it, but I, I know of it. You know of it. Well, Jim Carrey, one of his characters was Fire Marshal Bill. You know, and Fire Marshal Bill would, would give you a safety lecture or something like that. Something he's going to show you how to prevent fires or put them out. But then he'd do something. He'd screw something up. And he'd say, let me show you something. And, you know, and, well, now Jerome Powell is telling us, let me show you something. And uh, my cartoonist did the thing with him actually with a torch called Inflation Extinguisher. And what he's got it pointed at is the stock market and the economy and housing, etc. All of these asset bubbles. In fact, I was even half astonished yesterday in his Senate testimony where he came out and admitted that he can do little to nothing presently, which isn't really true, but we'll forsake a discussion about the inflation and food and energy. But what he can do something about is taking the air out of these asset bubbles he created. That's what he can do to help bring inflation down. So those who are still out there that think that there is something of a Fed put that's left, those who are still out there that think that if the stock market sell-off gets worse, he's going to blink and stop raising interest rates, he just told you no, he's not. And I've been saying for months that we were done with that regimen and that his political imperative now is not to help out or to placate the voters with stock portfolios that are going to be upset. It's the much larger group of people who don't care about the stock market, but care that gas is at a record high, care that food is going up, they care that rents and utility costs and everything else have gone up. That's who Powell is catering to. So look, I'll tell you right here and now that from you know the top down, we've had a, what, a 21-22% decline in the S&P 500, 30 or thereabouts in the NASDAQ. We're probably going to double those between now and early fall. Hmm. And then maybe you're going to have what for a while will be an enduring bottom. It may still not be the end of things for a lot of reasons, but um, we, we've still got farther to go down. And the Fed chairman just told you he's happy with that if that helps bring inflation down. But is that the orchestration of a quote-unquote soft landing, which a central bank <laughs> has never officially accomplished? They've never accomplished it. They're not going to accomplish it this time. But the way, but the way, you, the way you just the way you just described it, Chris, that sounds like a soft landing. Well, I don't. I didn't intend to describe oh. it that way. I mean, it doesn't sound like a crash. It's not. Well, look. I'll say this as far as the stock market is concerned. We've got to distinguish between a soft landing for the stock market and okay. a soft landing for the economy. Okay, For the stock market, look, we've been in a cyclical bear market for quite a while. It didn't material, you know, magically show up several days ago when the S&P was officially down 20%. It's just been evolving for a number of months. Wolf Richter, who I'm sure you also know, put out a good commentary just today pointing out how internally within the market, a lot of stocks have been going down for well over a year. So again, this bear market didn't come out of left field. It didn't just materialize last week when we hit that magic 20% number. So what I'm saying as far as a soft landing, and I wouldn't even use that term for the stock market, is that we've already to this point had a 20-plus percent decline in the S&P 500, a 30-plus percent decline in the NASDAQ. I think the Russell's along about that area, too. A bloodbath for the Toronto Venture Exchange, as Mickey repeats every week when we talk. <laughs> and it's happened without any anything really breaking yet in the markets. The markets have remained liquid. There has been very little in the way of forced selling, margin selling, I think that the huge flush in energy stocks at the end of last week was caused partly by that, by people getting margin calls. And when you get margin calls or you got to raise cash, you sell whatever you can. 
mm-hmm. whether you want to or not. And I mean, this, and, and that's a whole different subject that maybe you will want to talk about, but this sharp correction energy stocks is a gift for investors who weren't already loading up in that area because this, you know, we, we have got many years to come of tight energy markets. And, and even now, when you look at uh, the, and I'm, I'll use general terms, when you look at energy stocks, they're priced for oil to go back to 60 or $65. And, and the only way we get back to there is if Powell completely loses control of things we have another 2008. And maybe we go back to those levels for oil. But, but even that, in that case, it wouldn't last long because the long-term fundamentals are so strong. Uh, I'm glad you made uh, – uh, I'm glad you deciphered between a soft landing between the economy and a soft landing in yeah. the market. That, that's important for- – to remember. Well, and I think the economy, even Trevor, to, to just finish that thought real quick, mm-hmm. not belabor it too much, I don't think the economy necessarily is going to crash. I think we're going to have a slow, dull ache for a number of years to come. We're going to have a lot of funk. It's not going to be the textbook recession. I mean, look at this summer. Uh, retailers have been taking it in the shorts, uh, huge inventories that have built up because a lot of people, let's face it, for two plus years between Biden and Dr. Fauci and and the rest of the, this crew, everybody had to stay home. Everybody was browbeaten into staying home, getting all of your jabs and, and don't travel and don't do this. Now that we've got some relative freedom back, the average household is saying, well, I don't care if gas is $105 a gallon, we're going. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to remodel the den. We're not going to buy the new appliances. We'll limp along. Maybe we'll have to run the dryer 30 minutes longer because the dryer isn't working as good as it did when it was new. But you know what? We can still get by with it. Those are the choices that consumers are making now. Uh, There's a lot of... I live in St. Augustine, Florida, as you know. Huge tourist mecca. And we've got two major outlet malls. One large one that is to the west of Interstate 95 and one that is to the east, a smaller but still significantly you know, significant size complex. It's supposed to, even this time of year, be open from 11 to 7. You know, they open longer hours during the Christmas shopping season. I went over there literally yesterday, Trevor, uh, to find the old guy that I bought a couple of new suits from a few years ago to get another one for my son's wedding coming up in August, so I've got the right color scheme, okay? (laughs) The whole stinking place was buttoned up. Mm. Nothing is open. Hmm. And you're seeing that with a lot of retailers. I've been in a lot of places like that. So, you know, the retail economy is already in a recession. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you can say housing is in a recession because there, there again, you've got kind of a mixed bag. There's definitely been a rollover in housing starts, you know, mortgage rates, which are back under 6% today, were nearly 6.5% last week on the 30-year mortgage. So you're going to see some of the starts taken out of the the price, huge price rises of the last couple of years for housing. But even that's not going to be, it's going to be uneven. So, so, you know, we don't necessarily have to have a cataclysmic recession or depression, but we're going to see people pull in their horns. It's going to hit some industries harder than others. So, you know, at the end of the day, on both of those subjects, whether we have a hard landing or not, will depend on whether Biden, or, well, Biden too, but more so Powell, does break something in the markets. You know, and if something like that happens, it's not going to be here. Credit default swap markets in Europe are already cracking for months now, and that was before all this idiocy over this proxy war against Russia caused things to go from bad to worse. So Europe's going to break something. Uh, China is still an accident waiting to happen. Uh, who knows? Um, so a lot to take away. One thing in the back of my mind is, you know, the last couple of years here, Chris, you and I have talked about how the cons- how the American economy has been so addicted to easy money for the last 12, 15 years. And once that ends, once we get a tightening policy, you will be able to witness how that, the dynamics of that addiction. Now here we are, what, three, four months into this, and we're already starting, starting to see things break. In fact, you mentioned housing and I'm glad you did because I wanted to talk to you about this. Just as an ob- an observation from where I sit, you know, we're I'm based in the Denver area. 
Obviously, the, the Rocky Mountains, Central Colorado, very popular place. A lot of people have second homes, vacation home rentals, that type of thing. So we're keeping an, my my wife and I we're keeping an eye on that market because that's someplace eventually we'd like we'd like to do we'd like to be there. So we get these MLS listings, and I'm finally starting to see listings come up two three times with reduced prices, far off those mm-hmm. highs that we were getting just two months ago. So there's a it seems yeah. like there's a lack of buying even in the housing market. People are very uh, trepid to start buying real estate, especially in those high valuated areas. Well, you're right. And I, and I'm in, again, somewhat of a similar area that there's been a net inflow of people into St. John's County, Florida here in particular, this is the fastest growing in percentage terms County in the entire state recently where I live. And I can tell you that because every time I go out, it's like, I, here's another new development popping up that I didn't notice when I was out the other day kind of thing. But yeah, I get a lot of listings too. I'm actually looking to buy something inland at the end of this year along the St. John's River where it would shock you how cheaply you can buy a place on the water mm. over there because there's a lot of places and not as many people are going there. They want to all be, you know, near the beaches and things like that. But yeah, there's there's been definitely a peak reached in prices and they are softening some for some things more than others. Um we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I I'll tell you Last week, and this is a whole different subject, and I talked about this on my Money Show presentation this week on that whole new FANGS theme, mm-hmm. but I think that down the road, whoever's in charge, whether it's Republicans, Democrats, both after this fall or whatever, we're going to get a lot more serious as a country about a national infrastructure bank, about putting the actual pieces together for a sustainable, greener economy down the road, not just talking about them like we've seen up to this point and doing a lot of damage to that cause, which this administration has been great at. Um, and, I, and I'll and i tell you, there's going to come a point where there's going to be some glorious opportunities to invest in housing. Um, we've got a housing shortage in this country. That's not a surprise to anybody that pays attention to it. There are going to be a lot of home builders that build lower-end homes. I don't say that in a disparaging way, but economically, um, certain areas of the country that are underserved. There's going to be a huge rebound in some of these things. You know, I go back to the time, Trevor, of 2000 to 2002, when from top to bottom, the S&P 500 was down 49%. The NASDAQ from top to bottom was down 79%. But about halfway through, more or less, those declines, if you started to invest in housing, in commodities, in REITs, in utilities, you were making money during the last half of those declines for the S&P and for the NASDAQ. I believe the same thing is going to happen now. You've already made money in some of these commodity areas, you know, especially energy, oil and gas, uranium, some of the battery metals and so forth, even with the, the, the losses to this point. Uh, in this bear market. And I think that that's going to continue. But what's got me salivating is there's going to come a point where the Fed breaks something or just for some other reason figures, okay, we got to at least pause. We We can't raise rates anymore. They'll try and find a way still to bleed off some of their balance sheet, but that's not even going to go on a terribly long time before they've got to rinse and repeat. And I think what will be a part of that when they do and when they realize that the economy especially and even the markets need new waves of reflation again. Um, and we're going to be at this point by sometime next year, hmm. I believe. Um, there will be a much more thought out, I hope, game plan for how the next waves of monetary inflation are going to be dedicated more than ever to infrastructure, to affordable housing, to the green economy and stuff. And that's when your a lot of your commodity themes are really going to take off. What gives you assertion that a year from now will be different than, say, the last two years? Because politically, Biden and the Democrats have been talking about this for you know for years. And they get into, and and they finally get into power. They take the White House. They have they have Congress, and you know the Senate's kind of a toss up anymore. 
But why would a, a a partisan government end up next year just working together for some infrastructure? What it should, that should have happened. Well, that should think, have happened the last two years, Chris. Well, this should have happened when Trump was in there, which was promised, and it mm-hmm. never did then either. But look, I think that first of all, unless there's a major surprise or a major theft, uh, the Republicans are going to take the House and Senate this fall. Might not be. By huge margins, because these days, of course, there's a lot of seats that are just not competitive because of the entrenched power of incumbents of all kinds, whether no matter what party they're in, uh, the gerrymandering that's gone on by both parties, etc. But, you know, number one, I think that with Republicans in charge, they will yank Biden more so back to, to the center and get him away from the loony left, especially on energy policies, which he has destroyed. Uh, with everything with a slight exception of uranium and nuclear energy, but still we need more action where the talk is, even in that sector. That's number one. Number two, it's going to be a political and economic imperative, especially if Powell does break something in the markets and or this recession that is unfolding, maybe, again, unevenly, but it is unfolding. If that starts to deepen, to get worse, people really sit on their hands, etc., there's going to be a bipartisan effort, I think, to figure out how we reflate things again. Hmm. And one of the things that disappointed me last week when I was on a, uh, a webinar with this Coalition for National Infrastructure Bank is that there's only about 10 or 12 co-sponsors for this thing so far. Uh, and they're all Democrats, and they're all very progressive Democrats. And I agree wholeheartedly with what they're trying to do. I might come at the issue differently, and I might look at the monetary system differently. But look, for as long as we have a Federal Reserve, for as long as we have a fractional reserve system, yes, we need to continually create, find ways to justify new credit creation and keep everything afloat. But at least this next time, let's do it in a way that meets our grossly overdue need for new and improved and rebuild infrastructure, etc. So I, I, I think that there are going to be people who realize that. I think that some of the newer, more populist Republicans will sign on to that. Establishment Republicans won't because they all claim to be, you know, they all claim to be for free markets and, and against government spending is, unless that government spending is for military mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or that kind of thing. But we'll see. I, 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 I think that we're going to you know, on energy specifically and on these other things like infrastructure and whatnot, you know, as you pointed out correctly so, Trevor, all of these things have been talked about, but, you know, politics has prevented it all from happening. But we're going to have a gun to our head as a nation way more by the time we get into next year. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to kind of open up and talk about your new FANG thesis. I don't know if it's thesis mm-hmm. is the right word, but I, I, I think it's just it's just a fabulous way of describing this rotation and in general investment and where we're going. You can call it the great rotation. You can call it the revenge of the old economy, whatever have you. It's all a lot of it, the same thing, just, you know, just different code for the same, for the same term. Uh, but describe, right. describe to our listeners what your idea of the new Fang is. Well, look, I can't take credit, first of all, for that specific term. As you know, that was coined by a Merrill Lynch research team back earlier this year, I think in March sometime. But it was on a lot of the same themes that I've talked about, you've talked about, and others have. And basically what the new fangs stand for, the F, of course, stands for fuels, uh, oil, gas, coal, and so forth. The first A stands for aerospace and defense. The second A is for agriculture. Uh, the N stands for nuclear energy chiefly, but also you can lump in other renewable sources or low carbon, you know, solar and wind power and so forth. But nuclear energy is the king of that uh, subject. And G, last but not least, is for gold. And uh, you, can, you can extend that to other metals as well. So, you know, for a lot of years, you've seen the charts, I've seen the charts, most of our listeners have seen the charts of the historic uh, undervaluation of hard assets versus financial assets and all different kinds of variations of those charts. And I think on this, if we isolate it to these FANGS themes, these are going to be a microcosm for how there is going to be a massive rotation 
uh, within the markets. It started in some ways already, but it's only beginning, in my view. There are still going to be some speed bumps between here and getting to where you, you can get to more of a backup to truck time with some of these things. We've seen a lot of commodities get hit recently. I don't think that's going to last, but as the Fed talks tougher and tightens and wants to ring out this inflation, even at the expense of uh, you know a transitory as it'll turn out to be bust or, or recession again, you know, you're going to have to tread carefully. But down the road, I think that these themes are, are going to resonate. You know, the old fangs, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google as a group, are down more than double the decline of the S&P 500. Uh, pretty much all of them in years to come are going to be more like buying an AT&T or a Duke Energy or something like that. They're going to be utilities. You know, their, their salad days of their growth are long since over. They're still going to be huge companies, household names. They're not going to go anywhere. But these days of these dopey valuations from people falling all over themselves to invest in them, they're gone. On the other hand, the world population continues to grow. It needs to eat. It needs electricity. And across the board, uh, and Jeff Curry has been eloquent about this as more, more than anybody I know pretty much on a broad basket. My buddy Phil Flynn, who's an energy trader in Chicago with the Price Futures Group, he's talked about this specifically about the fossil fuels. But across the board with all of these things where you've had these bullish setups coming in fits and starts for all of these different commodities, Trevor, um, the, the common theme with all of them is gross underinvestment, gross underdevelopment for years, okay? The uranium of all of them is probably the best, but everybody else follows that same pattern, mm -hmm. you know? And on top of the underinvestment, the underdevelopment for years, uh, you've had policy mistakes, deliberate or act otherwise, that have made things even worse, especially now when when the president this week is again browbeating the energy companies and refiners and so forth. Well, who's the guy that brought in a treasury secretary whose who's main job and main reason she got the job of treasury was to use the financial system to beat the fossil fuel industry into oblivion? I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget Miss Omarosa. At the end of last year, that, that the president was trying to bring on at Treasury also, who had said that she wants to see the fossil fuel industry bankrupted, you know, so we can have these green energy companies. And look, sadly, the average American does have a short memory. For many people, and certainly the media that controls all these narratives, all they care about is the orange bad man is gone, and so Biden can do no wrong. Well, he's done a lot of wrong, and he's a damn hypocrite. When he's now going to browbeat the oil and gas companies, uh, uh, you know, it, it's so disingenuous, this nonsense. Everything from the calling it the Putin price hike to these companies won't drill. Well, who said that they didn't want him to drill? Who ran for president saying they're, never, they're not going to be allowed to drill? Mm -hmm. Come on. Yeah, um, it, it, it's just been a, a huge disappointment. I mean, I, I don't know if there's any other way to to put it. I mean, you, I think a lot of people voted for Biden, including myself who wanted something more center mm -hmm. and we're far from that. Unfortunately. Oh, you didn't get I it. didn't get it. Uh, and that's why I'm saying that I hope, I hope that if the Republicans do annihilate the Democrats in the midterms, that that forces Biden back to the center where of course he spent pretty much the majority of his career. Right. All right. Uh, you made me think of Mike Worth, the CEO of Chevron. He wrote a letter to the president earlier this week, and uh, I, I, I quickly pulled it up because I think it's worth mentioning in this this conversation. Um, you know, I'm not going to read the whole letter. Obviously, you can go find it on the internet. But a couple key takeaways is he wrote: American oil and gas supplies are among the most efficient, responsibly produced, and lowest carbon intensity supplies in the world. Chevron and its 37,000 employees work every day to help provide the world with the energy it demands and to lift up the lives of billions of people who rely on these supplies. Notwithstanding these efforts, your administration has largely sought to criticize and at times vilify our industry. 
These actions are not beneficial to meeting the challenges we face and are not what the American people deserve. I would stand up. I would give him a standing ovation. Then when I first Me read too. that this week, I thought, damn straight. I wish somebody oh, yeah. would, would do that in the political sphere and just say, you're absolutely wrong. You're going about it the wrong way. You can get what you want, but we got to do, we got to work together to get there. Let me tell you something. In my view, and, and you remember, just to, to be fair and a partisan uh, subject here, that I was never the Orange Wonder's biggest fan either. Far from it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you, uh, to a great extent, he has himself to blame for losing the last election, and I know people don't think he really did and so forth. That's a separate argument for a separate forum. But the best thing that he had to run on was what Rick Perry and then Dan Bruliette did at the Department of Energy to set us up for a futuristic energy system and all of the above policy. And yet, when Trump was running for re-election, all he could do was call names and talk about energy policy generally in terms of fear and in terms of, oh, if you elect Biden, you'll be in trouble. Well, that, that ended up being true. But I mean, it was, it was amateurish. It was childish what came out. But that's been the, the norm for years. When it's a Republican talking about it, it's like drill, baby, drill, and the Democrats just want to kill everything. The Democrats believe, oh, you know, we've got a magic extrusion machine. We can build all these electric vehicles without mining, without refining, without factories and stuff like that. And we don't need electricity. We'll run them all on unicorn piss and fairy dust. You know, <laughs> that doesn't work either. Okay. So both parties have been guilty, you know, for pandering to the respective partisan bases for years. I've never, to this, to this day, we don't have a long-term energy policy in this country. We haven't had one in a long time. And I've long praised Marcy Kaptur, who is the a Democrat congresswoman from Ohio, longest-serving woman in the House, who many years ago gave a special order speech that should be required for every American to listen to, let alone every policymaker, because she said 25 years or so ago that we're in trouble. She predicted what was going to happen today and said that this country needs to get serious and get its act together and come up with something no less serious than a Marshall Plan or the space program for our energy needs two and three and four generations down the road. And we've done none of that when you get right down to it. And that's why we've got a new energy crisis, which is going to get far worse before it gets better. Uh, let's talk about new energy. Uh, I want to, I do want to ask you about copper. It's copper is taking it on the chin. In fact, uh, as we speak, yeah. it's trading at $3, I think 70 cents a pound right Ouch. now. Um, Dr. Copper always telling you the way of the economy, what to expect in the future, foreshadowing everything. Uh, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when it was heading down towards that lower trend line before breaking breaking down, that I I think you you know there's two things I think you should watch within the economy. I said the bond market and also copper. What's copper? What's Doctor Copper telling you right now, Chris? Well, I'll tell you. I think Doctor Copper is a little bit confused because just like the bond market, I mean interest rates have crashed. In four or five trading days, we were up around three and a half percent for the ten-year note. We were threatening to break below three percent today. It was down almost to that a little while ago. Um, I think the markets are taking seriously uh, whether they should or shouldn't remains to be seen. Jerome Powell's uh, insistence that he's going to ring out inflation and that he doesn't care if he causes recession in that prospect. So I think people are trying to get out in front of that. Uh, which is not an entirely bad strategy. I, I, maybe it's overdone, and again, time will tell. But coppers had so many different moving parts. Um, you've had uh, a lockdown in China, then the lockdown was relent, relented on, and that helped copper to rally again. We were back up to 470 or 480 a pound, and now you've got renewed lockdowns in China and the growing recession fears here. And I think in sympathy with yields having tumbled back down, you've got a lot of directional traders who are just thrown in the towel and everybody is selling and or shorting copper anew. 
from these levels, even though they could still go lower if risk assets continue to sell off, you know, maybe we go lower on a copper price, but ju it just becomes more and more of a great long-term trade because unless you think, folks, that we're going to go back in the Stone Age, or we're going to go, we're going to go into a new Great Depression for multiple years, where a lot of activity stops for a long time or slows down for a long time. Copper's long-term fundamentals, and it's not just for from the new energy economy. It's from industrialization. It's from the rebuilding of infrastructure. It's from more people in developing worlds getting a better life by having better uh, technology, better communications, better sewage and water and all the buildings and all the rest of it. Uh, and again, like I commented earlier with uranium, and as I referred to with uh, mentioning Jeff Curry of Goldman Sachs across the board with all of these different commodities, pretty much, there's years of underinvestment. You look at you look at what's going to be needed eight or ten years from now, if we are anywhere in the universe of projections of EV build-outs and, and, and build-outs of infrastructure in developing countries and infrastructure of nuclear power plants and so forth. We need way more of all of these commodities, and it's going to push the prices up. So, But right now, copper is hostage to these recession fears, real or exaggerated or whatnot. Uh, and I think a lot of directional traders, as they do, they're, they're piling on. Copper right now, to me, is behaving like oil did back in 2007, 2008, when in about seven months' time, one minute you're at 140 bucks plus a barrel, next minute you're below, you're down to 30-something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but nobody's paying me to take their copper yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not going to right away. Yeah, not right now. Maybe maybe soon. I'll, and I'll do it. I'll take them up on that offer. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was a little bit of silver lining in the in the copper sector this week, Chris. And I know you're familiar with the PolyMet story. Actually, the Minnesota yes. Court of Appeals dismissed that challenge for their air permit. So I, I'll take whatever good news I can get in any sort of mining capacity right now, that was some good news. You know, let's get your take here. Well, as you and I are talking literally today on the 23rd, when we're recording this, there's a great big soiree and a tour at Polymet's mm. facility up there, which I was invited to and couldn't make it because I'm still home in Florida. Um, but I did read that press release the other day and the fatal flaw in and the reason why the court dismissed that had nothing to do with the fundamentals or substance. It was a procedural error hmm. on the people who first brought that action. So I need to do more homework on it. Don't take this as gospel, folks, but it's not going to shock me if that procedural error is corrected and the same people try and attack this again in, in, in the proper way that would uh, circumvent what the court said that the problem was. I don't, I'm not predicting that. I don't know. I need to do more homework. I'm only pointing out that I did see that that was the reason why that was thrown out. Now, look, I, I've been close to that story since the, the late 90s when a company called Fleck Resources owned that project. And uh, I don't remember if it was reorganized or sold, but the current Polymet, you know, came in and took over. And those poor people have gone through 20-plus years of pure hell and nonsense from people who drive cars, heat their homes, pine for electric vehicles, and all the rest of this stuff, and yet have, have left no stone unturned to slow down or kill this project. You know, they, they'd rather have, you know, little uh, kids in the Congo and in chemicals and mud up to their armpits to give them the battery metals. Uh, you know, and so every time I hear these people talk about uh, all of their, their, their woke social virtues, don't tell me that, you, that when you, you don't want to have a first world uh, job structure, pay, uh, environmental standards and everything, and you're happy to continue to exploit people uh, in foreign countries so that you can feel good about yourself driving an EV. Don't you? You can BS somebody else about that. You don't tell me that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned this uh, move down in oil and energy as a gift to investors. Let's talk about this move down in the miners, explorers. Uh, it, I, to me, it's starting to look like a lot of gifts out there. But I'm still real trepid to start deploying a lot of cash to back up the truck, as a lot of us like to say. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it's a little bit justified. Now, 
I do kind of feel that the seasonality will come to an end and maybe this, maybe this fall we'll see a little bit of, um, you know, some sort of positive move, but this is, this is downright ugly here, Chris. It has been ugly. You know, our, our mutual friend, Mickey, who you referred to earlier, is pretty much thrown in a towel on just about everything. And he's been pointing out how there, there's pretty much, you know, just once or twice in the history of the Toronto Venture Exchange, 20 plus years of that, that volumes have been so low. Nobody wants to be a hero and step up and invest in, again, a, a lot of companies that are just mind-bogglingly cheap mm-hmm. right now. When you look at their assets, and I mean, sure, we got a lot of companies that are out there that have got stories, but no substance. There's a lot of stories with a lot of substance that are trading for pennies on the dollar. It's just nuts. I would never have thought that we'd have seen things get this bad. Um, You look at the gold price, gold has held up relatively well, but you look almost across the board at gold-related equities, especially the explorers, and some really good stories, you know? Um, with with multi-million ounce resources or perspective resources, you know, getting to the development stage, great economics and stuff. Look at Nintegra. Look at Amex, just to name two of many that I could name. But those are two of the most glaring uh, undervaluations of, of exploration stories. So, yeah, I mean, we're probably, as I alluded to earlier, going to see more weakness before things bottom out, at least for these kind of stocks. Um, if the stock market continues to go down, we could see gold surrender a bit more, though I think we've probably seen the bottom um, where gold is concerned, at least. That's my view. You know, back earlier this year, we went above 2,000 an ounce for the second time in history. Right after that, I told people to sell our trading positions again, although we still have a number of individual gold stocks that I love. Almost all of them are down. I don't care. We're riding them out and buying more. But as far as the trading positions, I figured that with all this tightening, gold would get hit as well. But I said, look at two levels. 1850 an ounce is the first line of defense, and then 1750 to 1775 an ounce for gold, which is a multi-year key technical level. And we held that recently. We got down near that, popped back up. And I think going forward now, almost any scenario, whether the recession speeds up, whether things hold together, um, I don't see anything more save for a 2008-style bust that would briefly break those levels for gold. I don't see anything worse. So I actually, not that many days ago, told people to start dollar-cost averaging again into the leveraged bullion ETF that I like. The UGL is a symbol on that. That's ProShares. Um I'm not adding that many gold stocks yet net. I've been selling a couple that I think are laggards, adding a couple more. But uh, we'll see. I mean, it's not going to surprise me if by the time we get into September, October, uh, I am bumping up more notably the exposure to gold equities. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you wonder or do you have thoughts that you could share about this bust in the cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin we've seen, you know, I think, what, 70% off the highs? Uh, wow. Just really pretty ugly charts uh, all around. Do you feel like we well, can sense a rotation of that? What was supposed to be a safe haven asset at one time? It could be anything you wanted it to be when, whenever you needed it to be that. But could you see some of that money flowing into the physical safe haven as gold? Well, look, first thing, anytime I've ever asked about the cryptocurrencies, I always have to preface it by saying that if I could borrow Doc Brown's DeLorean <laughs> and go back a few years, I'd buy a truckload of these things. I didn't. I never have. I probably never will. I have never liked or trusted the modern-day cryptocurrencies for two reasons, Trevor. One is that they are not usable as money or currency for the typical person. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had that promise when they first started, but they aren't. They have become instead just giant speculations, uh, gaudy examples of whether you want to call them modern day tulip bulbs or the greater fool theory or whatever. Um, they become speculations. You, you can't have something worth $60,000 one minute and then a few months later worth 20 and tell me for a minute that that's a store of value. Even if it does go back higher later, that is not money. That is not sound money. 
Okay, it's not a crisis hedge, it's not an inflation hedge, it's not anything like that. It's a technological invention and speculation that is the greater fool theory on steroids, and as people just found out again the hard way, when the music stops, there ain't a lot of chairs. So the governments around the world, the central banks around the world, have all made abundantly clear that these things will never be allowed to actually be money. Money in their own right that has nothing to do with the fiat currencies that are around now that the central banks run, uh, where you can trade in, let's say, a Bitcoin, never have to convert it into dollars. You're completely insulated from the currency tax and other systems. It's not going to happen. Forget it. It certainly hasn't been a store of value. Heck no. 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 So look, notwithstanding the fact that a lot of really good story stocks and value stocks have been caught up with the rest of the selling, my attitude has always been, and still is, that I've got more companies than I can keep keep track of, Trevor, that have got real assets, real people, real technology, real science, real inventions. You can see them, feel them, touch them. There could be 10 baggers or 100 baggers. Why would I fool with this stuff? Right. That's a good point. You know, you wonder, I've been thinking about this as gold as a store of value. And, you know, other than oil, other than energy, gold, I've been really impressed with how it's kind of mm-hmm. hung in there and it's doing its job. Now, have we seen, we've seen, we, we, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that, or a couple of months ago, we saw that move close up to those all time highs again before retracing. We're not seeing new all-time highs. It's not like, you know, this thing's mooning or anything. But it's outperforming the general stock market. It's basically flat, if not a little bit green on the year. It's doing exactly what it should be doing. You you would think people would start noticing this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you would would think that they would. And sometimes some people do. Um, But but look, I I think that what's going to happen And let's go back, for instance, to, um, and this is an analogy I love to use, and I think it's very appropriate where gold is concerned. Gold, for the first time in along about 2007, hit $1,000 an ounce. It went to under 700 an ounce in the wake of everything getting clobbered when things went haywire back in the fall of 2008. But gold was one of the first things to recover, and in less than three years, the gold price tripled from its bottom. And it wasn't because all of the conspirators were on milk cartons and weren't and couldn't be found anymore. This uh, supposedly or keeping the price suppressed and all this other nonsense that you hear about. It was because the narrative got into the heads of the broad markets that you know what the Fed's printing all this money in the wake of 2008, but the economy is going to stay stuck in the mud. And if we're right, and if that's what happens then gold is going to disproportionately benefit because the monetary inflation is not going to help the rest of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Now you look, and notwithstanding the fact that we did tag gold's all-time high back in, I think it was March, last year gold underperformed mm-hmm. everything. Despite the monetary inflation, despite the inflation rate starting to creep up. And that was because from last year, by and large, the Fed's monetary inflation was benefiting everything else. Okay, cryptos before they busted, the stock market was hitting new highs, real estate was going nutso, etc. So where gold is going to soon be on the launch pad again, in my opinion, like it was in the fall of 2008, is when that point comes that the Fed, for whatever reason, and it's a matter of when, not if, stops however far they've been able to tighten up to that point and says, okay, now we got to reflate again. They'll be, they'll be behind already when that happens. The, they will be behind already by the time that comes. So what you'll have, again, like we did coming off the bottom in 2008, is an economy that's dead in the water that isn't going to respond anytime real soon when the Fed does start reflating again. But the markets are, and the markets are going to see that They're going to see that the dollar is going to come back down. They're going to see that interest rates have peaked and are going to tumble again. And they're going to be wanting to buy gold again. So even though, you know, again, I I told people recently to start tiptoeing back into the leveraged bullion ETF because that's the less 
risky bet. You know, if the S&P does drop another 20%, the NASDAQ does drop another 30 then gold stocks probably, all else being equal, get dragged down somewhat with them again. But when that point comes that the Fed has to once again run up the white flag, that's going to be your other beautiful multi-year buying opportunity in that sector. And, and to some extent, it's going to benefit some of the other commodities as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, you know, last question. I, I, we're, you know, I'm sure you and Mickey keep on mentioning the word summer doldrums. <laughs> Boy, yeah, you're sinking in it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but, but talk about, you know, as we kind of wade through this and the volatile market all around, what do you want investors to really be paying attention to? If you could, if somebody asked, say, like, what's one thing I should watch closely in the months to come, what would it be? Near term, the biggest thing for me is what second quarter earnings are going to look like and how much more we see companies in various sectors that are going to start to trim earnings projections. Because I think that the setup is coming just a few weeks from now when we start getting these releases for second quarter, looking ahead to the third and fourth quarters, that the reality is going to set in to Wall Street that, you know what, yes, we have seen a decent re-rating, to use that term, for stock valuations. A lot of the air has been taken out. So yes, we've accounted for stagflation to a point. We've accounted for lower P.E. ratios, but we haven't really fully figured in yet how much more the E is still going to drop in the coming couple or three or four quarters. And I think if that, you know, that's going to hit people potentially like a two-by-four, and with the summer doldrums and thin trading, I think we get a next significant leg down for the broad stock markets um, and probably bottom out on the S&P 500 a little bit either side of 3,000 okay. by the time we get into September. All right. Chris, let's uh, follow up here in the next couple of months. And, and if I'm right about that, the <laughs> thing I'm watching is that's when you want to be going to have your list ready of the long trades that you want to make. Because if we get that much of a drop and there's more recession talk and so forth, the Fed will at least pause. The markets will look ahead to Republican sweep in Congress, and you will have a rip-your-face-off rally for going into the balance of the year potentially. Chris, let's follow up here the next couple of months. I know you got your annual big summer road trip coming up that you do yep. every year. So uh, safe travels, drive safe, and uh, enjoy your son's wedding. It sounds like a great time, oh, yeah. and I'm sure you'll you look like a class act in that new suit of yours. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Chris Temple of the National Investor, nationalinvestor.com. Uh, he's also the co-host of the Metals, Money, and Markets Weekly that can be found exclusively on Kitco Friday afternoons after the market closes and uh, send Mickey my best, will you? I will, buddy. Take care. All right. That's Chris Temple, everybody. And have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back Monday morning with the news briefing here on Mining Stock Daily. Be healthy. Be well. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.